Welcome to the chalkboard, my fellow football nerds, for episode number 144 of Chalk Talk. I'm your host, Shane Half, and you can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at ShaneHalfNFL. I'm joined today by the best co-host in the game. You've heard him on the Tough Cover radio show. It is Mark Henry Jr. Give him a follow on Twitter at Mark Henry Jr. underscore. Mark, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Uh, been scouring the the prop market for the Super Bowl, um, and I, I like it a lot. Uh, you know, it's I, I think it's gonna some Super Bowls. I, I feel like I look at it and remember the Rams Bengals one. I just I couldn't get myself jazzed up about any of the props. I didn't know what way the games were gonna go. I loved the Rams to win the game, but didn't really have an idea of any anything to to kind of rely on in terms of props. This one. I'm finding all these different angles that I like. So it's going to be a fun, a fun Super Bowl to gamble on, uh, in my opinion. And what better place to hold that Super Bowl than Las Vegas? Absolutely. So today's show, we are going to preview the Super Bowl. Uh, we'll talk some scheme things. We'll talk some of Mark's prop bets. Uh, and then after we preview the Super Bowl, uh, we're also going to rank the eight new head coaching hires. So one to eight, our favorite to least favorite hires uh, to put a cap on the coaching carousel. Next week, we will be back to recap the Super Bowl. Uh, and we're also going to revisit our uh, preseason draft. We drafted Super Bowl winners, award winners, all those things. We'll tabulate that uh, and we'll see who got the, the highest scores on those. Uh, and then we'll be into that one episode a week rhythm for a while with the draft rankings and things. So without any further ado, let's dive into the Super Bowl preview. And Mark, let's kick this off and let's go like, let's do let's do one offensive unit against one defensive unit and we can talk scheme props and then we can flip it. So which unit do you want to talk about first? Uh, 49ers offense uh, or Chiefs offense? Let's go 49ers offense. Okay, so 49ers offense against the Chiefs defense. I've got some stats here I'll give you. Um, the 49ers, <laughs> they, they rank first in EPA per rush, and they rank first in EPA per pass. So, you know, they can kind of do whatever. Uh, they're able to really play any way. They're able to mix down-to-down consistency with explosiveness. Um, you know, prior to two weeks ago, the book on them was that they were front runners. They struggled if you... Uh, got a lead on them and then they scored 27 unanswered points and came back from a 17 point third quarter deficit to the lions. So it's like, you know, what is the weakness for this team now? Uh, because they appear to be able to do a bit of everything. And you think about the chiefs, they've got a really good passing defense fourth in EPA per play, but they're 28th in EPA per rush. So, um, it could be interesting. I think you could see the 49ers really try to run the ball against the Chiefs a lot in this game because, uh, one, you don't want to probably get in a shootout with Patrick Mahomes, and two, the Chiefs' run defense is a little bit shaky. Um, another really interesting matchup, I think, is how the Chiefs, how Steve Spagnolo handles blitzing because the 49ers have the best offense in the NFL against the Blitz. And the Chiefs have the sixth highest blitz rate in the NFL. So it's kind of that classic question of, do you remain true to yourself or, or do you alter everything in the biggest game of the year? Because the other team seems to be pretty good against the blitz. So I'm not sure what approach Spags will take, uh, but I'm really interested to see it. Uh, anything stick out to you out of those points or? 
No, I think the Spags point is incredibly interesting. And I think Spags is such an advantage to Kansas City to have kind of a lifetime defensive coordinator that is never going to get hired away. Um, since he's a retread guy, he's never going to, no one's going to get excited and hire Spagnolo as a head coach. So you kind of j- just get to have a guy have continuity with the same system and these guys who they're bringing in with his system in mind. Um, and, and I think that's what makes Kansas City's defense so good. And it's what's made Spagnolo so good when he's had these two weeks to prepare. Besides last year, uh, I, I'd say for the most part, the Eagles did pretty well against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. But I think this defense is much, much better um, than that defense was. McDuffie's a better player. Karloftis is a better player. Uh, they've both grown into being full-time NFL pros and not just rookies on a good team uh, who are stepping up. And, you know, Legereus Sneed's playing like one of the best corners in football. It's going to be incredibly interesting. I have my doubts about Brock Purdy in this game with the ways that Brock Purdy looked in the first three quarters uh, of that divisional game uh, against Green Bay. And Green Bay is not a defense that I hold in high regard. They did a good job in that game. But that's what makes me think that Kansas City can also make that work. They can also do a good job in this game. But I'd be lying if I said as a guy who, spoiler alert, I'm betting a lot on Kansas City, I would be lying if I said visions of Christian McCaffrey aren't dancing around in my nightmares because I think – That's the key to winning this game. If you're a 49ers better, you think the Niners are going to win this game. There's no reason to bet Niners money line. There's no reason to bet Niners minus two. Parlay whatever you want with all the Christian McCaffrey stuff, the touchdowns, the props, the rushing, the receiving. The 49ers are going to win this game. Christian McCaffrey is going to be the leading force behind that. Now, I'm not saying bet him to win the MVP because that can get – wonky sometimes with Super Bowl MVPs and quarterbacks. And if, if, per, if he, if McCaffrey has 140 receiving yards or, uh, you know, Purdy's going to get credit for that. So uh, I, I wouldn't bet him Super Bowl MVP, but his props, if I was a San Fran backer, that'd be where I was looking. All right. Yeah. He's going to, like you said, he's really interesting. He's the force multiplier on the offense because the 49ers are really diverse personnel wise. Uh, they run a lot of 21 personnel, which is two running backs, one tight end. And that's something the Chiefs haven't faced much this year, nor have they been effective when they have faced it. But 21 personnel could still be empty, and, and Christian McCaffrey can run pretty much a full route tree out of the slot. So um, he's a he's a big deal. How they're going to choose to match up against that uh, is a big deal. Uh, another big thing for me, you mentioned Brock Purdy is what happens when he leaves the pocket. Uh, Brock Purdy has 0.29 EPA per play when he leaves the pocket this year, which is second to only Josh Allen. The Chiefs defense allows a negative 0.2 EPA per play when QBs leave the pocket, which is the second best ranking in the league. So the Chiefs are a team that has generated a lot of negative plays when they flush quarterbacks out of the pocket. And Brock Purdy is not thought of as, you know, a scrambler, but he is an elusive guy who can create that's, it's not the only differentiation, but it's a big one between him and Jimmy Garoppolo is that he's got the ability to create outside of structure and improvise. Uh, what happens on those downs, I, I think, will will decide, will be one of the biggest deciding factors in this game. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I, I, I like, should I give out a prop bet that involves the Niners offense or should we hold that for later on in the pod? Yeah, go for it. Drop it. One that I'm, you know, I think this is the tight end Super Bowl, uh, like tight end university and 
all that stuff. It, it feels like this this really is the tight end Super Bowl. So I, I'm on both tight ends in different ways. So I'll start off on this side of the ball. George Kittle over 47 and a half receiving yards. One of my favorite props of the game. Um, he's hit this number in five of the last seven games and in nine of the last 12, 11 of the last 16. George Kittle's had a great year this year, kind of under the radar. It almost feels like uh, over a thousand yards, uh, 65 catches played pretty much the full year. Um, I, I think Kittle's going to have a big game. And I, I think that because the Chiefs have such an incredible secondary, Legereus Seed and McDuffie are just so hard to attack. I think everyone's focusing on Debo, focusing on Ayuk, and even this goes for any time touchdown as well. I think there's value on the prop market in general for George Kittle. I think the best value is, is just his flat over on receiving yards. But if I was looking to bet a pass catcher or you know daily fantasy, if uh, I, I would look at Kittle over Ayuk and Debo. All right. Uh, the last thing I have here on the 49ers offense, uh, we can talk about the defenses the 49ers have struggled with the most this year. That's cover three. Now, struggle's a relative term because they still rank 11th in EPA and 18th in success rate. But the Chiefs run cover three at the lowest rate in the NFL, 32nd in usage. Uh, the Chiefs run a lot of cover one and cover two, uh, which are coverages the 49ers rank second and fifth respectively against in terms of EPA per play. So a lot of interesting matchup things here, a lot of strength on strength. There's some strength on weakness here. Uh, I'm fascinated to see how, what Spagnuolo's defensive approaches against 49ers across the board. Yeah. I think everyone's going to make it. How does Spags handle Purdy? And to me, it's how does Spags handle McCaffrey? Uh, You know, how do they treat him when he goes to the slot? How do they treat him running routes out of the backfield? Who's covering him? Are they having the same guy covering him every time? Are they sharing responsibilities? That's really what it comes down to, um, to me, is how they handle Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. All right. That is the 49ers offense against the Chiefs defense. Now let's flip the script. What's going to happen when it is the Chiefs offense against the 49ers defense? Uh, The Chiefs offense ranks ninth in EPA per pass. Uh, and 21st in EPA per rush. The 49ers defense is fifth against the pass and 25th against the rush. And we asked the question, can the Chiefs stop the run? The other question is, can they run on the 49ers? You saw what Detroit did to the 49ers, and the 49ers have really struggled at stopping the run. But the flip side of that is, you like Patrick Mahomes' chances in a shootout with Brock Purdy but running against the 49ers defense is the perfect way to attack them. So how do you approach this game? If you're Andy Reed, are you going to try to really get Isaiah Pacheco going, which shortens the game? Do you want to come out and air it out? Travis Kelsey has been playing amazing. Rasheed Rice uh, has really come on. Uh, MVS is apparently just a good receiver. Now that we're in the playoffs all of a sudden, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what, what would your approach be if you're Reed here? I think you got to start fast and they've done a really good job at that. Even throughout the year when they were struggling on offense, they still opened the game well um, with these long seven, eight, nine minute drives and usually ends in a touchdown. Um, I, I think that you have to make this game a situation where the Niners feel like they can't just settle into the run game. They have to feel like they have to be able, or they have to throw the ball. That's why the chiefs, in my opinion, it's, they can I, I know that the, the 49ers came back last week. Um I, I 
you know, the Chiefs defense is not the Lions defense, especially the pass defense. So if the 49ers go down, I do think that that's a massive problem for the 49ers in a way that I don't think it would be for the Chiefs. If the Chiefs go down early, I don't think the game's over. The 49ers go down early, despite what we just watched in the NFC Championship game, I still think it's going to be a massive, massive problem for San Francisco. I don't think you're going to be able to exploit that secondary. It's just you're going from one of the worst secondaries in the NFL in Detroit Mm -hmm. to the best secondary in the NFL in Kansas City. So it's just I think you're going to see a big difference between how the passing game looks in that. So, you know, I know this is Chiefs offense versus 49ers defense, but the reason I say that is you have to put the 49ers on their heels. You have to put them in a spot where they can't just run, run, pass, run, run, pass, Um, because I think that's when they would be deadly. Niners get up in this game, or if the Niners can shorten this game as much as they can, it's deadly. So Chiefs, I think you got to come out and air it out. Yeah, and if they do air it out, uh, you can look at their splits against the blitz and not blitzed. And Kansas City drops from ninth in EPA when they're not blitzed to 19th when they are blitzed. So you would think maybe you can blitz them and generate some negative plays, but the 49ers are 30th in blitz rate this year. Uh, they, they've relied on getting pressure with four, and I think that will probably be the approach in the Super Bowl. And they're certainly making sure everyone knows that they think the Chiefs' offensive tackles hold a lot. Uh, They're putting that on everybody's mind to try to get some holding calls in key situations uh, on Nick Bosa. So that'll also be an interesting thing to watch play out. Uh, You mentioned kind of airing it out and starting out fast and the chiefs run a lot of 11 and 12 personnel. Uh, They have, but they throw the ball. Their, their pass rate over expectation is like plus 7%. Um, But what they've done at times is gone into 13 personnel and run the ball especially against struggling run defenses. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a semi-heavy dose of 13 personnel in this game from the Chiefs offense. But I think the biggest question in this game is just, like, is Patrick Mahomes invincible? I mean, he, he doesn't get sacked. Two sacks on 40 pressures this postseason. Uh, per FTN data, he has thrown zero interceptable passes. Like, at a certain point, if Patrick Mahomes wins a Super Bowl with these receivers, it just feels like Patrick Mahomes is inevitable and he's invincible. He did last year. They're the same receivers. I I know. They're, it's like, they're better this year. Rasheed Rice is better than anyone that was on that team. Yeah. If well, they had Juju last year and he was Juju's. competent. I mean, I'm I not saying I'm not saying Juju's a good receiver, but he was. Rasheed Rice had them. a had a Rasheed Rice had a much better year this year than Juju had last year. Yeah, but like at this point, like. Man, if they go back to back with, you know, Patrick Mahomes on the messed up ankle last year uh, against the 49ers this year, like, is it just inevitable? Like, is it, is it a Chiefs dynasty? I mean, I think that's that's very much where we're at, especially when you have Andy Reid. You've got, you mentioned Steve Spagnuolo is not going anywhere. And so you're really entrenched here. Uh, your, your offensive and defensive play caller are here. Uh, your quarterback's here. I mean, at this point, the only thing that can hurt him is Kelsey retiring or continuing to drop off, right? So uh, I'm really interested to watch this game uh, and see how it plays out. But it definitely, there's definitely a feeling of inevitability uh, about Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, that's why it's like, to me, it's not even worth like, what am I going to say about Patrick Mahomes? I think we all know what he's going to do. He's going to show up and he's going to be Patrick freaking Mahomes. I think the X factor, 
everyone's going to talk Mahomes, Purdy. The X factor for San Fran, like I said, was McCaffrey. That's obvious. I think just as obvious, you know, the story of the Super Bowl is Taylor and Travis, and that's not has, that has nothing to do with any of this. But I think the X factor of the Super Bowl is Travis Kelsey, and it seems like he's Travis Kelsey again. It seems like maybe Kansas City's figured this whole thing out. They just kind of they they go through the motions. They win 11, 12 games, yada yada yada. They're in the Super Bowl. It's just kind of what they do. And I, I think Travis Kelsey looked like himself last week. Like he looked fully Travis Kelsey. You know the 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 boogeyman version that we saw in the Super Bowl that shows up every year in the playoffs, and that's why. My favorite bet for this game, honestly, might be Travis Kelsey anytime touchdown at plus 100. It's just an insane value. He has scored in eight of his last nine postseason games. He has 11 touchdowns in that nine-game postseason stretch. In 13 of his last 15 postseason games, he has scored a touchdown, 18 touchdowns in that stretch. He's scored in two of his three Super Bowls, and he's the story of the Super Bowl, he's not not scoring. Like I, I just, I, I love Travis Kelsey anytime touchdown in, in this game. Yeah, that feels like about as safe of a bet as you can have uh, in a game like this, especially at plus one hundred. That feels a lot like Jalen Hurts anytime touchdown score. Absolutely, yeah. It's it, maybe they'll maybe they'll do it. They don't sneak Patrick Mahomes because he got hurt five years ago on it. Yeah. Um, they they don't they refuse to do quarterback sneaks and Mahomes kind of said that also um, on the Kelsey brothers pod when they interviewed him he was kind of like oh well you know we don't do it because my knee I, I messed it up that time like I was like that's ridiculous but maybe they'll throw Kelsey in there maybe he'll maybe Kelsey can push push it in that'd be that'd be a fun one but if Patrick Mahomes was my quarterback not only would I not QB sneak we would probably put seven offensive linemen on the field every play just to make sure he doesn't get hit. like. <laughs> I would put an offensive I would put an offensive tackle like beside him in the backfield as a running back just to pick up anybody that comes through. Protect that guy at all costs. Yeah, that's fair. That's totally fair. <laughs> and another prop bet on the Kansas City offense side um, that I just want to bring up uh, is Rasheed Rice. And uh, you know, this it feels like I'm betting on obvious guys here. I, I don't have any. I've I have two weird ones, but I don't have any under the radar player props. Rasheed Rice over six and a half catches. Seven plus catches in seven of his last nine games. Um, it's not, I don't like it as much as Kelsey, I don't like it as much as the Kittle prop. Um, but I, I do think it's worth worth sprinkling on. And I, I didn't bring it up when we were talking about the Chiefs defense, but this is a fun one. George Karloftis over a half sack. Um, he, it's at even money. He's had a full sack at in three of the last four games and in eight of the last 13 games. He's had at least half of a sack in 10 of the last 14 games. Um, so I, I think George Karloftis over half a sack is a pretty, pretty solid bet. All right. There you have it. There's some gambling advice. And, from- and that's full circle. As you know, Shane, you know, you know how much I loved, how much I loved Georgie boy coming out oh, of yeah. Iowa or Purdue, not Iowa. Yeah. We were both very high on Karloftis. You were higher than I was. I think you had him like, sixth or something i think and i had I think him like, i had him five i think i might have had him in the top five i might be wrong but he, he was right there for me i, I loved Karloftis. i was so offended when he was falling in the draft and of course he fell to turns, kansas city turns out he's good <laughs> yeah fell to kansas city and now he's just like a top 10 pass rusher in the nfl it's 
ridiculous how good Kansas City is at draft. Yeah, you, you had oh Dives was high on him too. You had him fifth. I had him ninth. Dives was the low man at eleventh on George Karloftis. This was a pro George Karloftis podcast. He's absolutely lived up to that at like beyond a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. All right. Well, you mentioned earlier you got money on the Chiefs, so I assume you're taking the Chiefs to win this game. Yeah. So th- this is it. I wanted to kind of phrase it to you this way. I don't have an. I don't know the right way to bet this. Do you bet the Chiefs plus two? Do you bet the Chiefs money line? Or do you just bet Patrick Mahomes Super Bowl MVP? Is there a scenario where the Chiefs win this game and Patrick Mahomes is not the Super Bowl MVP? Yes. Kelsey, two touchdowns, it? and Mahomes isn't the MVP. <sighs> I, I, The story, I get it. Yeah. But... Mahomes would have had to thrown those. Yeah, I don't think it matters. Like, I, I think I think if I, I would be leery of betting Mahomes MVP because of all the spotlight that's on Kelsey. So what I was gonna do is I was gonna put 10 units on the Chiefs. I think I'm putting five units on or I, I did already. I can cash out of them at a profit because I got good good numbers on both of them. But I, I put five units on Chiefs money line and I put five units on Mahomes MVP. So that way I would at least break even if the Chiefs win and Mahomes doesn't win MVP, but I get a little extra juice with Mahomes at MVP at plus 130. So that's the way I'm betting it. I might change my mind, maybe cash out and just ride the Chiefs fully. Um, yeah, I, I struggle. I struggle with the right way to bet that. Generally, I would say just bet the Super Bowl MVP, bet the quarterback. I know I said that with the Bengals and Burrow. Um I was pretty rock solid on that last year with the Eagles that you could bet Jalen to win MVP if you wanted to bet the Eagles to win. Uh, I, ultimately, I, I still think I do think if the Chiefs win, it'll be Mahomes. So I, I'm going to split it. Yeah, it it probably will be, but there is definitely that that scenario where, and I mean, if you look back at it over the last lot of years it's almost always the quarterback right it was cooper, cooper cup, cup right? a couple of years yeah. ago with the two touchdowns julian edelman it should, a few it should years not ago. have been it should yeah. not have been cooper cup that should have been aaron donald's mvp yeah uh, julian edelman had one like six years ago with 110 catches 141 yards von miller had super bowl 50 with two and a half sacks but yeah it's generally going to be the quarterback uh, has a tight end ever won the Super Bowl MVP is the question to ask. I don't think so. And it looks like the answer is no. No tight end has ever won a Super Bowl MVP. So you got that going for you, too. You could get Travis, the first ever Super Bowl MVP. But, uh, yeah, I will also take the Chiefs in this one. At this point, you just you can't bet against Mahomes. And I think this is going to be a good game. I I just... You can't bet against Mahomes, and you certainly can't bet against him with the best defense that he's ever had. So uh, I'll take the Chiefs in this one as well, uh, and and we'll see how it plays out. But anything else you want to say about this game before we move on to ranking our head coaches? No, no, nothing nothing else. Oh, my my two stupid props I gave last week. Um, I, I just want to give them out in case anyone didn't hear. My my stupid props of the week, don't bet you know, anything real on it, you know, sprinkle overtime plus 1100, one unit, Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan, both super conservative, not like either of them are going to go for two at any point in this game. So it just, 
it lessens the chance for a weird score. So it heightens the chance for tying, if that makes sense. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense to people out there, but um, I, I think there's a good chance it's a close game at the end. So I think plus 1,100 is worth a spin. Um, 8.2% of playoff games since 2019 have went to overtime. About 8% of games in general go to overtime. This is an 8.3% implied probability. I think it's worth the sprinkle at plus 1,100. And the last one, I, I'm still looking for research on this. But no kneel down to end the game. Only four of the last 11 Super Bowls have ended in a kneel down. And it's like seven of the last 20 Super Bowls have ended in a kneel down. So I'll take the plus money when I think history's on my side. No kneel down to end the Super Bowl. That's going to be a bizarre thing to be caring about at the end of the Super Bowl. I can't wait. Yeah, uh, gamblers watch games differently than everybody else. That's for sure. Also, I have like a weird mental block. I like can't say Super Bowl. I, it like it's like Super Bowl. It's like just one word. I, I just mash it together because I think I've just said it so regularly my whole life. It's a zero. Zero. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about some other teams now. Uh, we're going to talk about the eight teams that hired their head coaches. We're going to rank these head coach hirings from one to eight. Mark and I have two separate lists. We haven't compared these, but I we'll see how they shake out. Uh, so, Mark, number one. You start out. How about that? Okay. okay I think I'll... we have different. I think we have much different lists. Ooh. Okay. Let's see. Uh, my number one is Mike McDonald to Seattle. Uh, I think, uh, first of all, I think Mike McDonald did a fantastic job the last couple of years with the Ravens. It was spectacular. Their defense, their defense kept them in their playoff game against the chiefs. Um, Seattle should have had a good defense this year. They just, they just didn't. Like they've invested a lot. It just wasn't good. And it was probably time for Pete Carroll to step back. I think Mike McDonald is a perfect fit for the Seahawks. They want to keep a defensive minded head coach. Uh, Mike McDonald is like the epitome of don't hire a scheme, hire a, hire a play caller, right? He will change what he's doing depending on his opponents, which I think is so huge. I think it's something Pete Carroll was hesitant to do. Uh, I think Mike McDonald has a chance to be like, that next Carroll type guy in, in Seattle who lasts for a long time, runs a really good program, has a really good defense the majority of the time he's there. So I thought that was a perfect fit of a candidate I really liked. Uh, so Mike McDonald to Seattle was my number one. Shane, you know how I feel about offensive play callers, and that would be the only people that I would hire to coach my NFL teams. You know how many offensive play callers were hired in the cycle? Um, let's see. It would have been one, two, two, right? Two, two offensive play callers. They're one and two on my list. I stand on my principles. Number one on my list is Dave Canales. I think Dave Canales should have been hired by the team. You just gave the number one spot to Mike McDonald's a good hire. It's the number one defense guy. I, I'd say uh, out of the five that were hired, which in, is insane that five of the eight head coaches that were hired were defensive coordinators, but um, I think Seattle should have brought Dave Canales back because Geno Smith had his best year under Dave Canales. They should have kept Shane Waldron as the OC, brought Canales back as the head coach, and I, I would have went with that. But I, I think Carolina made a good hire. It probably won't matter, though, because that roster is a dumpster fire. And at number two, I'll just swoop back in because I already said it. I have Brian Callahan. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you talk about him, so tell me where you have Mike McDonald. Number four. 
I have McDonald at number four. I have it's really a tier of the the I have my top four and then my bottom four. Okay. Uh, McDonald is fourth in tier one, I'd say. Okay. I have, uh, so I have Canales third on my list okay. um, for the same type of things you said. He was QB coach in Seattle when Gino had his resurgence in 2022. Uh, in 2023, he helped turn Baker Mayfield from like a, I mean, let's be honest, a guy that got benched by the Panthers the year before into having a career yeah. year. You saw Gino regress without Dave Canales. Uh, he gets paired with Bryce Young, who's honestly already a year away from being out of a starting job if it doesn't turn around like he was that bad as a rookie. And now his career years came with good wide receivers uh, to help not-so-great quarterbacks. He had Metcalf and Lockett in Seattle, Evans and Godwin in Tampa Bay, and the Panthers have no wide receivers and no first-round pick, and he's working for an owner that is increasingly looks like the new Dan Snyder. I mean – less heinous accusations and things yeah. just in terms of like stability and temperament. So it's not a good situation, but Canales was of the coaches that got hired. He was my highest ranked candidate uh, when I put out my coaching candidate list. Uh, but I had him behind McDonald cause I just love that fit. So go ahead with your number two. Now my number two is Dave Callahan from Tennessee and Brian, it's not Brian. A- or Dave, I, I Dave can I had Dave Canales written right with Brian Brian Callahan. It's not a hire that got a whole ton of uh, of buzz, but when I put out my favorite candidates list, I always kind of include him year after year, and he doesn't get hired. And he finally did this time, and I think the reason he did was his work with Jake Browning. Um, Jake Browning looked really competent this year for the Bengals once Burrow went out, and you could argue that their offense maybe even like got better for a little bit um, because Burrow really had the, the tough start to the season. I, I think there, there was a point in the early Burrow starts or the early Browning starts where their offense was actually better with Browning. That work was incredibly impressive. And both of us think Zach Taylor is a buffoon. Um, so maybe there's an argument that he was kind of the straw stirring the drink. I always kind of thought that that was a cap- that was a possibility there in Cincinnati. Um, so I think Callahan's a good hire for Tennessee, kind of at like the ground floor of a rebuild. Um, hopefully he's able to make it through that. It'll probably be dependent on whether or not Will Levis is the guy, because if he's not, I don't know if he'll make it to the next quarterback, but I, I like the hire. Yeah, I uh, I think he would. I mean, it's not often that you bring a coach, in, a head coach in and to work with a quarterback that was not a first round pick. And if it doesn't work out, you ax the coach. Like that's true. I mean, I could see that happening to Canales if he, if Bryce young doesn't pan out, but I I would have a hard time seeing that with Callahan with Levis. But uh, so Callahan was five on my list. Um, He, if not for the Jake Browning play this year, I would be totally out on this because I'm just not that impressed by a guy who works with, Joe Burrow and the best trio of wide receivers in the NFL. Uh, But what he did with Jake Browning was impressive. And, you know, he's going to try to get the most out of Will Levis. He's going to have limited support at wide receiver to do so, but he is an offensive guy, as you mentioned. So that bumps him up. Uh, Callahan's not necessarily a guy that was really high on my list, but he gets a bump over some of these defensive guys just because they're defensive guys, whether, you know, that's just, that's a principle we both kind of have, but, you're apparently sticking to it more than I am this cycle. Yeah, so, I, I, I'm super passionate about that, yeah. yeah so my number, are a joke. Yeah. So my number two is Jim Harbaugh to the Chargers. Uh, big name, won everywhere he's gone. It's worth mentioning he's hopped around a lot. 
He was in San Diego for three years, Stanford four years, San Francisco four years, which by the way, in San Francisco, he lost in the Super Bowl. The next year lost in the NFC title game. The next year went eight and eight and was let go amid a power struggle with Trent Baalke. Uh, Michigan at nine years is the longest he's stayed somewhere and he's largely leaving because he got caught cheating. Um, so everywhere he goes, he seems to not last long. There seems to be struggles behind the scenes. Uh, he's bringing in Greg Roman as his offensive coordinator. Uh, he wants to run the football, a little bit of an old school guy. Uh, he's not my favorite, but it's hard to discount that he's, uh, it's a big name and, Los Angeles is a place that desperately needs a culture reset. So I don't know that Harbaugh will last long, but that doesn't mean he won't win a lot of games before he moves on. So he was number two on my list. Where did he fall for you? Number three for me. I just don't like the fit. Um, Like you said, like he's going to want to run the ball. Uh, I think they have a a young quarterback that they should be focusing on. Um, But I I just think it's, it's going to be really fun to see. Um, the Justin Herbert truthers in a year and a half, you know, picketing uh, against Jim Harbaugh. And, you know, Justin Herbert only went nine and eight again because of Jim Harbaugh and Greg Roman. I almost think like Greg Roman getting hired for the Chargers is the best possible thing to happen to Justin Herbert just because it's like another year of excuses. It's another it's another thing to point to as why he's not this elite top three quarterback that everyone said he's been for four years. Um, I, I just I don't like the uh, that the fit for Harbaugh. I would have I think hiring almost any of the offensive minded coaches would have made more sense to me. Ben Johnson would have made a lot more sense to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Ben, okay. ben Johnson would have been number one on my list. No matter far. where he went. It's, insane yeah. it is insane that he's not hired he's one of the best play designers i've ever seen yeah okay i think that's one through three for all of us right and i gave mcdonald at four already okay so my four is antonio pierce uh by the raiders this one's tough uh he, he spent two years as an nfl coach and it was only as a linebacker coach before he became the interim this year However, like the way players talked about him, especially Max Crosby, who reportedly was going to request a trade if Pierce wasn't the head coach, has to count for something. Uh, it also has to count for something that their defense jumped from 26th to second in EPA per play when Pierce was in charge. So when when you when you have bungled head coaches as much as the Raiders have, chasing Gruden with McDaniel. I think at a certain point you kind of got to listen to some of your players and the vibe is good. was good around Pierce. Uh, they had a winning record, albeit five and four with Aiden O'Connell. The defense improved. I think you almost had to give him a shot. Um, so I put him at number four ahead of some of the other guys, uh, but I don't feel strongly about it. I do really, I am really concerned about his lack of experience. Yeah, I, I put him fifth. I don't like the higher. I would have rather than, kind of go elsewhere but I, I will acknowledge the fact that they kind of did that already against rich Basaccia and, and it was a really bad pr move it really the team apparently the locker room really divided because of it um i kind of understand at least why they did the pierce thing with that just happening a couple of years ago and and with max crosby speaking out the way he did so i put him fifth even though i maybe he should have been lower can I tell you what would have been the most obje- the objectively most funny outcome? 
Hmm. If they hired Bill Belichick and Bill Belichick yeah. brought Josh McDaniels on as the offensive coordinator. <laughs> that would be great. That's like, <laughs> uh, wasn't Vance, Vance Joseph was the defensive coordinator for the Broncos this year for Sean Payton after he was like a one and done head coach there a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. But that would have been like the, the guy we just fired is now the OC. Yeah. The, yeah, the, no, guy, they that, can't. They the can't. guy that everybody hated. <laughs> yeah. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Okay. So, uh, he was your five. Brian Callahan was my five. Who was your number six? I put Ron Rivera. Oh, I mean, I mean, Dan Quinn. Uh, I mean, anytime Washington can repeat the Ron Rivera hire by hiring a former NFC South head coach who got to one Super Bowl and lost in like famous fashion um, and mostly largely was incredibly average uh, every other year. And also, defensive coaches who the offense was the leading reason as to why those teams made the Super Bowl. Anytime you can add a guy like that, that's, that's who you go with. Um, Dan Quinn, this is just hilarious. I mean, for Eagles fans, this couldn't be, this couldn't work out any better that Washington didn't make the right move and hire Ben Johnson or Bobby Slowick or Eric Bieniemy or anyone else. And they also took Dallas as defensive coordinator. So now Dallas is going to have to do um, whether or not you think Dan Quinn is the, the best defensive coordinator in the NFL or whatever, they're at least going to have to change. There's not going to be continuity. They're going to have to implement a new system. So it's going to be hilarious uh, when they bring in Ron Rivera as their DC. It's a trade. They should have, they should have traded like a draft pick at least with it yeah. or, or something, Washington. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's incredible. When, when I saw that, that break, I, I couldn't believe that, you know, you, you had basically the entire year to line up your head coach because everyone knew you were firing Ron Rivera like the entire season. And this is what you, you worked up. This is what you worked out because, and your tweet about Ben Johnson with the commanders and Josh Harris, how much money he spent on it. I don't know if you want to pull it up, but it's more, it's worded more succinctly than, than anything I could ever put. Uh, and that's why you're better at Twitter than me. That was one <laughs> of your best tweets of all time, in my opinion, because it's so accurate. It's so inexcusable that they didn't get the deal done with Ben Johnson. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll pull it up here. I had, um, well, it's trying to load. While it's loading, uh, I'll say Dan Quinn was eighth. He, he, he's last yeah. for me. And, and it's not because I think he is a bad defensive coordinator. I certainly don't. I don't think he's the best, um, but I think he's like a top five defensive coordinator. And I think that, He's done a really good job in Dallas, but I'm a fan of hiring offensive guys. I don't think you want to hire defensive coordinators to be head coaches. Uh, certainly not when you just did that and it didn't go well. And if you're going to do it, you want to do it like Seattle did. You want to poach away an up and coming mind and ensure you lock him in. He can't be hired away. Uh, and that's not Dan Quinn. Like it's just not. And then you talk about the fact that, they're also about to draft a franchise quarterback and they're either going to, and they're going to pair him with an offensive coordinator. that will be gone in two or three years, either because he's a head coach or because he gets fired. He's either good at his job and gone or he's bad at his job and gone. Well, and they hired Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah. So he'll be bad at his job and gone. <laughs> so I, I, I just, I, I really didn't like this move uh, with Quinn. I mean, as a, as an Eagles person, I really liked it because I think it hurts both of those franchises. So the, the, the quote, the tweet I had, it was a quote tweet of Adam Schefter who said that uh, 
Ben Johnson's asking price spooked some teams per sources. And I said, you're telling me that Josh Harris bought the commanders for $6 billion and then balked at paying a head coach. What a disaster for Washington. The highest paid head coach in the NFL right now is Sean Payton at $18 million. If I'm mathing correctly, that is 0.3% of the purchase price of the team. That's like walking away from buying your dream house because the porch light doesn't work and you don't want to pay to fix it. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, it's it's so pathetic. It's so Josh Harris, and I'm so happy that he bought the Washington football team <laughs> instead of some billionaire owner who actually would have done good at being an owner, which is one of the easiest things you can do when you have billions of dollars. Just be good at being an owner. And I, as a Sixers fan, can attest to the fact that Josh Harris very much cannot do that. Um, so the, the fact that the commanders are now like, it's like a, he said, she said, Ben Johnson and the commanders are both like leaking stuff to the media about this whole uh, interaction. And it's, it's bizarre on, on both ends. I wonder if this will hurt Ben Johnson as a candidate going forward. I, I'm just surprised that he wasn't hired elsewhere. I, I wonder if it was because he was so penciled in with Washington. Like, I, I just don't understand how he didn't get hired if, it wasn't assumed he was going to Washington. It's very bizarre. Yeah. I mean, he may want more like front office sway than you want to give him, but at a certain point, maybe that's the price, you know, you pay to try to get one of these guys. And, uh, but yeah, so he was my number eight. My number six was Raheem Morris to Atlanta. My number seven. Okay. Morris is 21 and 38 as a head coach. And it's not really fair because he was in some really bad situations in Tampa Bay. Uh, I, I'm just, I don't know. He had a good year this year with the Rams defense that was starting a tremendous amount of young players. But at the end of the day, they were still a below average unit. And yeah, when, when you add on that, I don't like hiding, hiring defensive coordinators. I just, I wasn't a big fan of the Raheem Morris to Atlanta. I don't think this, you've got major offensive problems. Like you have got to figure out this offense. And you hired a, de- a defensive coordinator to do it, and I just don't like that. Yeah, and he's just never been the defensive coordinator for an elite defense in his career, not once. Yeah. Um, so it, it's just hard for me to, to even wrap my head around. I, I think he's an Aaron Donald merchant as of late. Um, so yeah, cough, I think Brandon I, Staley, cough. Yeah, it's, that's true too. I mean, how many pieces did – I mean, the Brandon Staley Rams defenses were way better – and the Raheem Morris uh, Rams defenses, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, Raheem Morris is seven for me uh, for all the same reasons that you said. I think it's ridiculous that he got the job over Bill Belichick, to be quite honest. Like, not that this, this um, I, I don't, I, I think Belichick should have gotten hired in this cycle, um, especially in the spot. I think the, the Falcons were the right spot for Belichick, and I think they should have either hired him or an offensive-minded coach or anything but hiring retread Raheem Morris because Sean McVay likes him and has said nice things about him to the media. Um, I, I just, uh, it's, it seemed like a PR move to me, which is a weird thing to do with your head coaching hire. Um, and then uh, number eight to me, like the reason I have Morris at seven and not eight is a principal thing. The New England Patriots writing it in Gerard Mayo's contract that he was the coach in waiting is just so like Mickey Mouse, unprofessional college football BS. Like have a head coaching search. Like you haven't had a new head coach in like 30 years. Why are you just promoting from within when your team is a dumpster fire? 
And we all know that Belichick was the defensive coordinator anyway. Like, I, I don't understand the hire. I, I don't understand not wanting to get a fresh new mind on it. I don't understand not wanting to get an offensive mind when it seems like that was what Kraft was leaking. That's what he wanted. And then this happened and it was in his contract. Like, I, I just – I don't understand what it gained New England to write that in Gerard Mayo's contract. If he would have went elsewhere, that would have been fine and they could have just interviewed him at this time this year. Like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it – it very much feels like in New England it was time for a reset, and I'm just not sure you get that when you promote from within. So Gerard Mayo was seventh for me only because he's an unknown, and I feel like Dan Quinn is a known. That's why I had Quinn lower. But, yeah, Gerard Mayo, I, I wasn't a fan of that move. I, and I know he was highly thought of. He was being interviewed you know, a, a year or two ago, but I, I didn't like that move. I felt like New England really needed to get outside the building. For years, the issue – well besides the bad drafting and the bad GMing and the bad contracts and everything bad about how Bill Belichick built the roster. The other bad thing was the Patriots would never get outside the building outside of people bill knew, and they just promoted another guy from within. So that, that would be disheartening for me if I was a Patriots keeping, fan. Yeah. They're keeping like as much as the staff as they can uh, too. Like it's just, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't get it at all. There, there's something to be said uh, by, or there's something to be said about continuity, right? You want to keep continuity. You don't want to change everything over. But when you're trying to keep continuity for a four and 13 team, a team that has had a winning record, one of the last four seasons, maybe that's, maybe that shouldn't be the goal. The last time, like since Tom Brady left, you've had one winning season out of four. Maybe continuity isn't the primary focus there. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It's why he came in eighth for me. It, it seemed like the number one situation that that should have been like, oh, let's go outside the, the organization. Yeah, you have swayed. As we've talked about it now, I've realized that Mayo is probably eighth for me, and I would probably flip Mayo and Quinn at seven and eight as we've talked here. But I've already <laughs> said it. It's out there on the airwaves now, so I'm stuck with it. But <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up. Uh, Mark, any final thoughts, anything you want to throw out there before we get out of here? I'm thoughted out. No thoughts for me. Bet All overtime right. plus 1100. Bet <laughs> overtime. Plus Super Bowl's going to OT. Super Bowl's <laughs> going to OT. My, and my final thought, this will make sense to the rest of you guys later this week is that uh, Toledo's mascot is the Rockets. Oh. Just so you guys know, uh, just stay tuned to the feed. That'll make sense later this week. Uh, so thank you guys for joining us for episode number 144 of Chalk Talk. Uh, if you enjoy what you heard on the show, and we know that you do, smash that subscribe button. Turn on notifications so you don't miss our next episode. Drop us a five-star rating wherever you stream your podcast. You can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at ShaneHalfNFL. You can follow Mark on Twitter at MarkHenryJr. Underscore up next on this feed will be uh, a senior bowl winners and losers podcast uh, with Mark Dibes and I, and then Mark and I'll be back next week to recap the Super Bowl. So we will catch you guys next time.